BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, a National Education Association poll taken last month finds more than half of teachers, 55 percent, say they're thinking of leaving the profession. Ninety percent say pandemic-related stress and burnout are serious problems. COVID-19 has taken a massive toll on teachers as well as students, as educators have struggled to provide lessons and support to kids across two pandemic years. This hour, we'll check in with four teachers across California and hear how they're doing as the latest Omicron surge begins to subside. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Teachers have weathered enormous disruptions throughout the pandemic, but many say this latest period with the Omicron surge has been among the hardest times. Teachers have watched and worried as colleagues and students have become sick or they've been sick themselves. They've had to take extra shifts or double up their classes because of a shortage of substitutes. Some have shut down whatever social interaction had remained in their lives as the risks of transmission swelled. The challenges are ongoing, but as we begin to emerge from the peak of the Omicron wave, we meet four California teachers this hour to learn how they've been managing inside the classroom and out. And they are Jaite Rodriguez, a history and English teacher at Central Union High School in Imperial County. Jaite, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Arian Adamchakova, a Spanish teacher at Cappuccino High School in San Bruno. Arian, really glad to have you on as well. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much for having me. Also with us is Dr. Drew Ishii, a math teacher at Sage Hill School in Orange County. Drew Ishii, really appreciate you being on with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And Lauren Brown, early literacy coach at Oakland Unified School District. Lauren, thanks for joining us. Grateful for the opportunity. So, Lauren, I'm going to start with you. How are you <laughs> and the teacher colleagues you're close to? 
We are doing well. We're doing the best um, with what we have. I think January was hard month for us. Um, there was a lot of absences, um, different, you know, just trying to fill in where we could to handle the vacancies. Um, I actually got sick. Um, mm. And but I'm just grateful that, you know, this month we're starting to see the numbers pick back up, less absences on both ends, teacher and um, students. And so just um, can see the light. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. And and you're feeling a lot better, I hope. How long did you end up having to be out? I ended up taking, um, doing the 10 days recommended by Kaiser in our district. Um, but I'm not sure if any of you had an experience with COVID, but there's some sort of like COVID exhaustion that comes with it. Like you're just exhausted after it. So even after that 10 days, um, you know, kept going and kept pushing, but I was mm-hmm. tired. So even after you did that 10-day period, you had to to teach as you were feeling this post-peak um, of the illness exhaustion, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, mental and physical exhaustion is something, I think, that you've also pointed out as well. At the end of the day, especially, what are the things that you're often thinking about at the end of the day that can lead to that? So... Uh, one of the, I think one of the sources of the mental and physical exhaustion for me is that I'm very conscious that I have to keep it together for my students, right? Because they're looking to me for, for hope, for inspiration, um, so that, uh, we can get through this together. And sometimes, uh, you know, during the pandemic, especially when we were online, I would just, cry for like an hour before the day started. And, and I found, I found that that helped me because I was able to get that out and be completely present for my students and be able to guide them because that's uh, one of my, my, I think my most important roles, right. To, uh, to be strong so that they have, and not phony strong uh, because that's very different, authentic, strong so that they can see, yeah, she's human and she's struggling too, but she's being stronger than us right now. Uh, and that's tiring, you know, and it's tiring to see my colleagues suffering as well. Ariane, what was it like for you when you returned to school after winter break in January? What kinds of experiences and challenges did you have? So it was probably similar to my colleagues across California it was a real, it was another shift in um, an un, like an unending shift in education and um, during these past two years. And I came back, half of the members of my department were out with um, COVID or positive, or many of them have families. Uh, half of my students were gone. I had to immediately shift back to, I must put all of my lessons online digitally for all of the students to access them from home, whether they're sick or they're just having to quarantine for members of their family. And it was a real struggle. And there was just, I think we all felt lonely and caught off guard and like just incredibly disappointed. And the fatigue and the exhaustion just came right back and the emotions of, oh my goodness, how long are we going to have to go through this? Um, and, mm. and just the, the anxiety of what was going to come next. And it felt on January felt unending. Um, yeah. It's gotten better since then, but yeah, January was a very hard month. What do you mean by lonely? 
I think that we all feel really disconnected from one another all since the pandemic, certainly, right? And even though we came back, we do have masks on. I'm a Spanish teacher. Communication, I don't get to communicate with my face. And um, students struggle, and it's a struggle in, in my classes. It's a struggle for kids to who have not been at, we're not in school for almost a year and a half, for particularly freshmen, brand new to the school, how to make new friends. Mm-hmm. All year, it's been a struggle. And it just felt like we were starting over in January. Like it just every, it just felt depressing again. Like we're disconnected. We cannot eat anywhere near each other again. We, you know, we have to have our triple masks on. Half of us are not here. It just felt very isolating again. And I think it just brought that all back to everybody, students and faculty and staff alike. Yeah. Drew Ishii, you've also pointed out that with all the ups and downs, the roller coaster, I think you called it, of the last couple of years, that January was also one of the hardest times of the pandemic. And you heard other teachers say that. Why? Yeah, I I agree um, with everything that's been said. And uh, especially the anxiety piece. I think that that was something that I didn't anticipate coming into the new year. Uh, and it's a, it was that, that muscle memory from the fall of 2020. It, we were right back there again. And, and the uncertainty, and it seemed like everybody was getting sick, even though that wasn't the reality, but it felt that that was the reality. And, and the loneliness, the, the isolation, it was... Uh, I had stress headaches for at least the first couple of weeks. And that's, that's exactly how I was in the fall of 2020. And so that's what I meant by the, the muscle memory is or your body remembers that, that kind of traumatic time. And that felt really awful because for a long stretch of time, we, we thought we were in the clear, you know, we're doing all the right things. And, and it felt like school was getting back to normal. And then all of a sudden it was really not normal (laughs) yeah back to you know back to it felt like the beginning of the pandemic again and then you're thinking oh my gosh what's going to happen you know in a couple months you know what's going to happen in the summer are we going to go back to uh students can't you know have to be six feet apart in the indoors It, it just was very very um uncertain and and that's what brought about the anxiety yeah it it really does sound so chaotic. And and I think what you're describing is just the cumulative stress, right, of experiencing this at this point in the pandemic, on top of all the other things that you and other teachers have had to weather. And this is what we're talking about, listeners, this hour, about how California teachers have been affected by the Omicron surge and and how that's added to the other stresses that have they have experienced during the course of the pandemic. And if you are a teacher, teacher, we'd certainly like to hear from you. Are you a K-12 California teacher with an experience or a reflection to share? You can do that by calling 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can post thoughts on Instagram. We're talking with Dr. Drew Ishii, a math teacher at Sage Hill School in Orange County, Arian Adam Chakova, a Spanish teacher at Cappuccino High School in San Bruno, Jaite Rodriguez, a history and English teacher at Central Union High School in Imperial County, and Lauren Brown, an early literacy coach at Oakland Unified School District. And we did have some teachers write into us earlier 
Carrie writes on Instagram, this is the worst year of my life being an educator, truly. This is my 30th year and it's not fun anymore. Quinn writes on Instagram, as a public school teacher, I'm exhausted. I'm over this every week feels like an eternity. Lauren Brown, I was struck by a description that you gave our producer, Caroline, that you can see the exhaustion physically because you get to visit different classrooms. What are you seeing? Um, yeah, so I support 11 teachers, um, kinder through second grade. And um, as I'm just like, you know, checking on teachers um, when I'm not covering classes, um, sometimes, you know, um, I can hear in teachers' voices when you know your colleagues, you can kind of tell when they have like less patience or um, maybe the way the students are acting in the classroom, you can tell something might be off with the teacher just because, you know, she's not following the normal routine. Um, or students will come tell me certain things like, oh, my teacher was crying. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'll come check on the teacher. Um, and so there was there's been that approach. I'm thankful that I do have the flexibility um, to go in and, you know, let teachers know, like, do you need a break? Like, I can cover your class, take the day, I'll be there. Um, at my school site, we do have a larger school base. So we do have the resources to have um, just extra support staff that um, is able to step in, take a break from what they're doing and step in if need be. Well, and we do have some teachers who are sharing that their experiences luckily have been a little more positive. Jason writes on Instagram, since the pandemic has forced me to be even more mindful of the home lives of our at-risk populations, it's forced me to pull back on the quantity of work I give and collect. I found that the quality of work I'm getting has been very high because I'm giving them more time to do it, which allows for revisions and feedback. I feel somewhat guilty about saying this, but this has actually made me a better teacher and Jaime writes, I'm scared sometimes, but overall, I am having a blast. I teach sixth grade, and in, in my 29th year, I'm having fun. Kids are learning, and I'm glad to be back in the classroom. But there is still that fear of COVID-19. We're hearing from teachers about what this year has been like, especially the start of it with Omicron, and how that has uh, been affected by just the last two years of the pandemic, which have actually affected three academic years at this point. And you, our listeners, are invited to share if there's anything you'd like to say to our teachers. 866-733-6786 is the number. Email address forum at kqed.org. Post thoughts, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Hi, I am a K-12 educator. I teach first grade in a public school in San Francisco. I think it's really important that you guys uh, look at what's happening in the private and parochial sector and how COVID is being managed there as opposed to the public sector because there is a huge inequity gap and educators are having really different experiences as are the children, as are the families. Additionally, in San Francisco, the middle and high schoolers are having the worst time of everybody, and this is a really critical time for them, and it is just not being managed. Things are falling apart. It's desperate times. We're talking about what it's like for California teachers, and we just heard from 
one in San Francisco who left a voicemail for KQED. We're also talking with Lauren Brown, an early literacy coach at Oakland Unified School District, Hete Rodriguez, history and English teacher at Central Union High School in Imperial County, Ariane Adam-Chakova, a Spanish teacher at Cappuccino High School in San Bruno, and Dr. Drew Ishii, a math teacher at Sage Hill School in Orange County. And you, our listeners, are sharing what it's been like for you Manuel writes on Instagram, most teachers don't even have the energy to explain how difficult this year has been. We're using all our free time to just recover. Another listener writes on Instagram, hanging on by a thin thread as an elementary TK to six special education teacher. It's been tough. Drew Ishii, I want to go to you with that voicemail that we we got from the San Francisco teacher who talked about the differences or the inequities in public and private schools. You're at a private high school in Orange County. What have you noticed about the difference between your experience, which already sounds like it's, it's been quite challenging at a private school, and the experiences of your, your friends and colleagues at public schools? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that uh, call because that there is an inherent in- inequity between public and private education. And uh, I have to say that I, I, I feel fortunate uh, from my my own health in that my school has since the beginning done all of the things that the scientists recommend, you know, the CDC and, and all the other recommendations. And uh, I didn't ever feel unsafe in my, in my school. That doesn't mean that I didn't have the personal anxiety, you know, and, and that it just, there was always that fear that I could get sick or I'm going to bring this home to my household or to my loved ones. Um, and so I, I think I do have a, a different experience than a lot of my friends and colleagues in public schools where they were online for a much longer period of time mm-hmm. than my school was. We went back in September of 2020, I think that is. And a lot of schools, even in Orange County, didn't go back in person until the spring semester, or they did some sort of uh, mixed schedule, or, you know, like Monday, Tuesday, and then like to cohort the, the students. And there was so many different permutations and, and things going on so that we could get kids back into school. And that was the, I, you know, I, I think that's been one of the challenges the last couple of years is as a teacher, I wanna be there for my kids. And I know that it's important to be in person for students but that also came at, you know, personal risk for my health mm-hmm. and others around me. And so I think every teacher has really had to negotiate that, that personal uh, dilemma. Arian, how have you had to negotiate that? I think that at each step along the way, it's been a very different, um, it's been a very different situation. Um, you know, at the very beginning, um, 2020, fall of 2020, we were living with my elderly mother-in-law who needed a lot of care. We had her caregiver who had three children of her own and my our own child and my husband and all of us in the house um, seven, eight hours a day. And what we decided to do um, is that our caregiver was also bringing her three kids and we said, let's just all do schooling together. Two of her children had severe um, vision disabilities and some other disabilities. And we were just negotiating 
all of our health because all of us were so incredibly anxious and we were in our own bubble. We were all being very safe, but it had a lot of consequences. The kids with vision impairments and I, as a teacher, was trying to help them along, um, you know, as they were doing homeschooling. We had like four kids in the in the household doing homeschool, you know, doing online schooling. I was teaching. It was very flexible. It was very like nurturing on some level, but it was also just, it was a, just a very anxious time. And um, we were, when we were able to go back, it was good, but the, the caregiver, the mother of these three children never felt safe in sending her kids back to school because again, they had severe disabilities. Um, and even when my school district did go back, it was very, you know, just a few kids in the classroom. That was all. And I, you know, it was really just um, every single space, every single moment was a, a decision and a choice and a difficult one. And the disparities were huge and the communication was very difficult. And, you know, I, and then, and then there would be another change and then another change in terms of what we were doing. And um, I just, I kind of feel like we've all been really flexible as teachers, but that's, I think, part of the exhaustion for all of us is, you know, our own health, our family's health, our students' health, our students' families' health, you know, what, how much are we working with the community to go bring food and supplies to the students? Like just the ways that we've had to, to turn again and again and again to meet the needs of our own families, our own person, you know, our own health and our students. It's, it's, you know, it's been astounding, but that's part of the exhaustion. (laughs) Yeah. So many communities to feel responsible for personal and professionally. Let me go to caller John in Berkeley, who's joined us. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going? Well, what would you like to share? Um, I feel like I had a unique experience. I started teaching the week um, everyone went home from school of my first, you know, teaching position and job. Um, so the, the week I was there, it was the week everyone uh, started to slowly take the pandemic seriously and, and then officially was like, yes, this is a pandemic. We should be teaching from home. Um, and I did that for a year and a half. And um, I don't know, it was like my mental health definitely suffered a lot, but particularly just seeing like the students kind of having to be monitored and watched uh, over the Internet. Um, that kind of disturbed me. I, 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 you know, putting myself in their position, I would hate that. Um, and I felt really bad for them. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted just to share a little bit of that experience with you. Well, John, thanks for sharing your experience. I, I appreciate it. Um, let me go next to Ramon in Oakland. Hi, Ramon. You'd like to share an experience as well? Oh, Ramon, I'm sorry. I think you might be listening to the radio there. Can you hear me? Thanks for sharing your experience. Um, We'll try you again in just a moment, Ramon. Um, In the meantime, I am curious, Heather Rodriguez, you know, we heard John there talking about his experience of the students and then also the students' experience as well. We've heard Ariane talking about all the adjustments. I was struck by a story that you told about how at one point you really had to also think about 
how much to teach students, like how much over the course of the day they could handle and to be really sensitive about how that might be different from previous years. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that Ariane said, uh, she talked about adaptability uh, or flexibility, I think is the term that she used. Um, And one of, first of all, I, I think that you know, a lot of the stress that students were under even before the pandemic was because they were bombarded with work and some of it being busy work, not necessarily going deeper and truly understanding a concept, um, a uh, something that, that, you know, they're able to explain to us later. So I really had to revisit like what I'm doing uh, and making sure that there wasn't anything that was stressing the students out even more. Uh, in, in my county, we're a county of 180,000 people, and we've had over 800 deaths uh, due to COVID. Hmm. And that is, uh, it's just astronomical. Uh, and in, in one of my classes, when we were online, the students were, um, I, had, I had a student who lost three family members within the span of a week. And that was just heartbreaking. Uh, and, and I felt comfort in the fact that they were reaching out to me. Students that were suffering felt comfortable enough to reach out to me and ask if they could Zoom, you know, when school was out, just one-on-one. And it, it, made, me, it made me feel really good that they had that comfort level. Um, and so, you know, g- given that, I, I really hope that we use this as an opportunity to go, this was, right, you know, we talk a lot about this, like, what were the lessons we learned? Uh, But there are some incredibly strong lessons in, right, what are we doing? Are we we teaching our students? Or are we just checking boxes? And uh, are we taking our students deeper with the knowledge that we want them to know? And how is this going to help them? Um, And so I, I have found that my my connections, just like the caller, um, I, I think, I, I don't remember his name, I think it was Jason, who said that this, the quality of the work that students are turning in is better than it was before. Ah, uh, yes, the commenter, yes. Yes, <laughs> the commenter, because he scaled back. And I the same thing has happened with me. And I have to say, you know, for teachers who are at their wits end and exhausted, I I hear you. Uh, It is exhausting for all the reasons that we've mentioned, but uh, in the last weeks or so, I've had some of the best teaching experiences and connections with my students that I've had in years. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings as was mentioned also about all of the suffering and everything that, that we've all been through as, as a profession uh, but you know, we're, we're going to get through this because that's who we are. Uh, you know, and I want to say, um, so, something was mentioned and I believe it was Ariane about the loneliness. Uh, I, I was selected to be on the SEL team at the beginning of this year. And so I'm working with, uh, three other colleagues who are, we wouldn't have come together had it not been for this, uh, opportunity. What does and, SEL stand for? Oh, I'm sorry. Social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is we're creating activities and pulling students out. Um, 
but the teachers in advisory can use the activities that we create, or we go into advisories and actually teach the lessons ourselves. So one of the things that we came up with is the breakfast club. And what we're offering teachers is to select a few teachers that they really want to sit down with for a little bit and just talk about whatever it is, because we have been so disconnected and then we'll cover their classes while they're, you know, in this, uh, in the faculty lounge, which was abandoned at our school like six years ago. So we were, we're repainting it, fixing it up. We're going to have a, a wall like the Lascaux cave paintings where the teachers can just write a message uh, and basically leave their mark of, you know, what this was like. So we can look back on it a few years later and go, wow, this was, Right. We left our mark. We're, we're still here. We thought we were going to quit, but we got through this. Well, that is really good to hear. We have another person who writes here, Isabella. We are burnt out. We're at the end of our rope, and it doesn't look like we have much line left. Our whole world has been uprooted. We had to create and decipher a whole new way to teach, but we did it because we are teachers, and that's what we do. It is hard because as teachers, we are already stretched so thin, but we also need a way to support the mental health of our students. Let me see if I can go to Ramon. Hi, Ramon. Hi. Hi. I'm back and without the radio. <laughs> Great. What's on your mind, Ramon? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a history uh, teacher in high school in Oakland, and I teach uh, for several years the, about World War II and the greatest generation. And and now I teach my kids that, in fact, this is the greatest generation. And, um, you know, I mean, what the struggles, as you've heard from the callers that we've gone through, just horrible. And, you know, the, the events that I normally teach just, just don't compare. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just want to, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm talking particularly about the teachers. As the, you know, incredible. Well, Ramon, thanks. I I can hear that uh, you're really affected by this, and I appreciate you calling in to share that as well. Um, well, Michelle writes my it's, response. It's been, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I I I I think you can hear it in my voice. It's it's just been a very very difficult time. Yeah. Well, Michelle writes my response to the post referring to the one that KQED has put out, asking teachers how they're managing. I left teaching. The treatment I received by administration and parents was too much. I left the field. It wasn't worth the risk of getting COVID. I'm immunocompromised, and my school did not care and refused to provide proper PPE. I know of eight to nine educators who've left because of this same reason. Sorry to hear that, Michelle. Andra writes, the hardest part as a teacher is expectations. We expected to have our eighth graders do eighth grade work, but they're really only sixth graders due to two years out of school. There's going to be a continued loss of teachers. Some are retiring early, others just done due to lack of pay, consideration of their knowledge, support, or respect. Drew Ishii, you... Oh, yeah, yeah, Lauren, please go right ahead. So um, I think there's been a lot of like assumptions made about like um, learning loss and things like that. But I noticed like when we did come back into person, like the kids just, kids just soaked up knowledge like sponges. But I, what I noticed on the other end was teachers had already confirmed these assumptions about what the students learn and what they were coming in with knowledge. And I've seen like just some really inequitable practices happening where teachers are, quote unquote, meeting students where they are are at. I've seen um, even as going as low as like third grade teachers giving their kids tracing places, pages. Um, and so 
I just want to be careful, like as educators, when we are making assumptions and then confirming those, you know, um, assumptions and about our students and how that affects our instructional practices, like scaling back um, and all of those terms. Our students still need to meet those standards, but like, you know, give them what they need to meet those standards, um, support them and get them there, but don't scale back to the point where, you know, they're going to be um, it's going to be detrimental to their educational growth in the future. What do you say to teachers who you see doing that? Um, first and foremost, like I come to them and I come from a place of just caring and compassion um, because no one is doing this with the thought in mind that it's harming students, right? It's coming from a place of I really care about my students and I want them to grow and I'm seeing this gap. And so where the question then is, is like, how do you get them, how do you address the gap without um, modifying the assignments without like, you know, um, harming the students. So it kind of comes into this place of like, you are trying to um, have to kind of um, push yourself, you know, do your research on your end and come from a place of getting students to where they need to be. There's no like straightforward answer. Every student is different, right? Everyone learns different. Um, and as an educator, you do kind of carry that on your back, that stress of like, okay, how do I do this with 32 kids in my classroom? Um, but I think that's the beauty of education, right? We're lifelong learners. We're constantly pushing ourselves to the limits and um, we, you know. Yeah, Lauren. Yeah, Lauren Brown is an early literacy coach at Oakland Unified School District. We're also joined by Jaite Rodriguez, a history and English teacher at Central Union High School in Imperial County. Drew Ishii is a math teacher at Sage Hill School in Orange County. And Ariane Adamchakova is a Spanish teacher at Cappuccino High School in San Bruno. We'll have more with them and with you after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. We're talking with California teachers about how they've been affected by Omicron and the pandemic these days inside the classroom and out. And with us is Ariane Adamchakova, a teacher in San Bruno, Jaite Rodriguez, a teacher in Imperial County, Lauren Brown, and a literacy coach in Oakland, and Drew Ishia, a math teacher in Orange County. And uh, you, our listeners, are sharing your thoughts, questions, 866-733-6786, the number, 866-733-6786. Email address forum at kqed.org. You can post thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Rachel writes, my students were two to three when they when the world shut down, and many have never been to school before coming to my room. Many couldn't recognize their name in print or sit still long enough to listen to a story, let alone hold a pencil or regulate their voice level. We truly started from square one. Kids are the light in all of this. They are funny, kind, resilient, and they're trying so hard to do what is asked of them. Trishi, it reminds me of something you were saying about um, students almost relearning how to be students on a social level. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I, I think that that's one of the, one of the biggest challenges I've seen um, with our students. It's 
because they, especially the ninth graders, and I think somebody else mentioned this uh, earlier, the ninth graders, you know, they, their last time they had regular school, was they were in middle school. And so I teach at a nine through 12 high school. And so the things that I used to think that ninth graders, like the skills that they would have either to take notes or to ask questions or to just advocate for themselves, that's no longer the norm. And so the, the students have really had to relearn or, or learn actually how, how to be students. And, and what do you do when you're taking notes? Like, do you revisit them? <laughs> are you just taking notes just because everybody thinks that that's what you do in school? You know, what are you actually doing? And so I've had to actually really uh, scaffold and, and make clear the expectation. This is how you do these things in my class. This is, these are the expectations. Uh, this is how you use the videos. This is how I expect you to do the homework. You know, all of the, the little things that I think we used to take for granted, we really have to be explicit about. Well, let me go to caller Jim in San Jose. Hi, Jim. Hi, thank you for taking my call and thank you for doing this program. It's, it's uber important and really appreciate it. Um, my wife and I and our children lived in Latin America for many years and we moved back to California where she's a native of in 2001 and she's been involved in uh, dual immersion bilingual education um, ever since. She's now a principal of a pre-K to five elementary school here in San Jose Unified. And um, I think if, if we talk about um, the military and the police and the firefighters and the nurses and the doctors being heroes, which they are, um, public educators are as well. And what has been broken over the past couple of years with this pandemic um, might not be able to be unbroken, but we can certainly work to heal it. And But we need to, I think we need to start to focus on contacting our school boards, our city councils, our representatives, um, and supporting the teachers, the staff who are heroic in what they've done over these past two years and helping them more to continue on in what they do. Well, Jim, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and I, I do wonder, Arianne, Adam Chakova, if there is a broader policy change that you would want to see in education that you think would help relieve some of the the kinds of issues, stresses, and tensions that we've been hearing about today, what would it be? Certainly, I think a lot of things could um, get better and stronger within public education. We know uh, that the pandemic has really exacerbated a lot of the inequities um, among our students. Um, as soon as the schools had to shut down, we became community centers for food distribution, um, for health resources, for school resources. And um, we really did that in just a few moments. And it really showcased how much the public school is the center of the community and how much the communities need the public schools and how much we are central to, to all sorts of uh, communications and um, dependence of uh, our communities with each other. And we are the public square. And I, I think that California 
you know, we've had a long, long standing issue of just not enough funding. There are huge inequities between our basic aid districts, which are our wealthier areas, which are able to support with higher property taxes, um, and those that depend on the state for most of their funding. And we're, you know, and we see class sizes anywhere between 30 and 40 in many of our districts. And as um, Ida was saying, we've had to turn around and um, really listen to our students and think about um, social emotional learning and how much we as teachers can kind of influence and we're a connection for our kids. Some of our kids stay to talk to us. And it really, really happened a lot with online learning and during the pandemic that that we were a resource for our kids um, in an even more deep way than it had been previously. We were perhaps the only person that might know or have seen or talked to this kid in a day um, and they were as they were alone at home and we were finding out what was happening and we were then directing resources and help to them if needed. One of the things that we've done in a lot of high schools across California is increase our mental health um, and wellness counselors. And I think that that's a great step in the right direction, um, but we need funding for this and we need funding for smaller class sizes. And I'm really grateful to the governor to have extended a lot more relief to California public schools, but we need more mm. and we will continue to need more. And I think that, I think that class sizes and changing a little, uh, changing our model to be around advisories and small groups of students which re who really get to be known by one teacher throughout the years, I think is a model that a lot of our schools need to aspire to, but it does yeah. take resources. It takes resources and certainly, Jete Rodriguez, with, uh, with the teacher shortage and potential greater shortages of people who are saying that they're thinking about leaving the profession do that, class sizes, of course, will not get smaller. I wonder if this experience through the pandemic has made you rethink how long you want to stay in the profession. And if you've decided you want to stay, why? I think. So I, I believe that this is, this is what I meant to do, right? Until there will come a day where uh, perhaps the, I won't be able to keep up with either physically or just, uh, with what our students are going through, you know, the, uh, right now I can still understand TikTok. I, you know, I can still <laughs> understand a lot of the trends and the students feel very comfortable, like filling me in on what's happening. Uh, but more so I understand what a lot of them are going through. I have a lot of empathy just because of my own high school experience. I know what it's like to not want to be in a high school or not want to be in school. And so I create a space for the students to thrive, uh, even when they don't want to be there. Uh, and I also, um, you know, as Lauren said, um, it's so true that there, there's a difference between scaling back on work when students are stressed out versus scaling back on expectations. And I think that uh, our students have... Uh, the an amazing ability to bounce back. Uh, and as I said in the beginning, they look to us, to us as guides. They, they're, they're looking at us and they're listening to us. 
And uh, they, you know, if, if, if they see that we're in there with them going through this and learning alongside them uh, and, and very important, you know, in my teacher preparation and as a national board certified teacher, uh, I, I was taught to diagnose, right? To be a diagnostician of my students, mm. not only their learning, but their social emotional needs, their sociocultural dynamics, right? What's happening with them. Right. And so to be able to have that lens to like, how can I best support the student? What do they need? And I think that, um, you know, one of the things, well, as Lauren was speaking, I thought about how maybe some people just well, we're just going to do, as you said, to use your analogy, tracing, right? We're just going to trace, everybody's going to trace. And there may be a student who needs to go back to that. So we work with that student individually, but how are we going to get the other students forward? And we really need to know our students. That's the crux of teaching. And so, no, I haven't thought about leaving to answer your question. <laughs> well, Denali writes, public high school teacher here. We're so happy to be back in person this year. However, not prepared for how draining this year has been. Our students need more support, both academically and emotionally. There is a serious substitute teacher shortage. So many of us are subbing during our prep period, giving us less time to grade and plan, adding to our stress. And Michelle writes on Instagram, I quit. Um Lauren, I, I do have to ask you if, if this experience of the last couple of years has made you rethink staying in the profession of education. Um, no, I think when I think back on all my experiences, like I did start with high school and I did even before the pandemic eight years ago, have to sub during my breaks because at my school, there were no subs coming anywhere close to our school. And so we were subbing um, in each other's classrooms. So like a lot of the things that I hear happening like this year during the pandemic, um, it's a little different, but it's like a different variation. So for example, like earlier, I was like, I'm exhausted. But if you would have asked me back, I don't know, five years ago, how am I doing? I'd be like, I'm exhausted. I'm always exhausted. I think teaching is exhausting, but it's a beautiful thing. And I think um, that exhaustion just kind of evolves either the higher you go or it's, as the years go on. Mm. Um, and so do I ever think about quitting? Yes, all the time. <laughs> but am I? No. Um, I love my students. I love the communities that I work with. And um, I know my purpose. And I'm going to stick to it. Mm. Well, let me go to VC. Hi, VC in San Francisco. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to say thank you to all the educators. I think that like someone, I think uh, Jim or someone mentioned, or Michelle mentioned earlier, that the social framing around teaching has not even highlighted the sacrifice that teachers have gone through in the past two years. I'm married to a school social worker and to a family of educators, and I have just seen the struggle. And I think that, yes, Gavin Newsom has been amazing, and it's so amazing to pay attention to the students' social-emotional learning, but I think we also do need to do a lot more for our teachers because the pandemic has shown how much the public school system in America is broken, and we really need to do whatever we can to restore it. Mm. Thank you. BC, thanks. We're talking with and about California's teachers, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Darishi, you said that you feel like teachers are not value, valued enough in this country. Are you seeing any of that changing? As people recognize how important their sure. role has been through this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the amazing things about teachers, and this, I think we've heard this um, in the last hour, is teachers are resilient too. You know, we're going to get the job done. We love doing our job. 
uh, most of the time. Uh, and, you know, we're here for the kids. And I think one of the things that was really hard as a teacher to endure was, uh, you know, in March of 2020, when everybody went home, all the parents were like, oh, teachers are amazing. They need to be paid a million dollars a year because being at home with my kids is horrible. And, <laughs> and so there was that in, in, the, in the atmosphere. And then, you know, in the fall, it was the complete 180 where, where parents and society was saying, go back to the classroom. And without regard to any kind of safety or any kind of precautions or anything. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I, I live and teach in California. And in, if I were in some of these other states, like Florida and Texas, where I, I would have left my job mm -hmm. because I would not go into a room, an indoor building with children who at the time, you know, we, we were these asymptomatic super spreaders, you know, uh, of COVID and the adults are the ones that are going to get sick. And, and, and so that's what I meant where, you know, teachers are valued and then they're not. And yes. so there's, there's this real duality in this country, you know, and that, that, that's been really, really hard, hard to take. It's interesting. You're reminding me of some of the reflections we've also heard from healthcare workers along the same lines where they were heroes for a while and then they became the enemy to some extent. Um, well, let me go to Denise in San Ramon. Hi, Denise. Hello. How are you? I'm well. Good. Um, I just wanted to chime in really quick that um, I've been with the San Ramon Unified School District for about, I'm going on my 20th year, and by far the last two years have been the hardest of uh, being in the, the education field. I am a specialist. I work what's called the Rainbow Program, and it's a program that started out in New York back in the 70s and filtered its way across country. And what we do is we give social and emotional support to uh, K through five. I wish it was something K through 12 because I think all ages need the support. Um, it's been amazing how resilient these children are, and they don't realize it, but they actually give us the motivation to keep going ourselves. Mm. It's been quite challenging. Um, every day you don't know what you're going to walk into. Um, and I think that just having that patience of one another, of us to them and them to us, has been huge. And um, I'm I'm so proud of seeing the growth that the kids have made, as well as teachers. It's been tough. I will admit there's been a couple times I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't keep doing this. But then this is what I meant to do. I meant yeah. to be there for these children. Well, Denise, thank you for sharing that for the program and also what clearly you are echoing from our teachers, which is that students really are what keeps them motivated uh, Amy writes, while some teachers are struggling for uber understandable reasons, I'm also hearing some of the most articulate, creative, smart, and caring comments from educators who are somehow managing to find some silver linings. My admiration is strong, and I sincerely wish teachers were highly paid in our country. This listener writes, I have a dear friend who started their teaching career in the pandemic, and they are constantly hurting, feeling isolated and overwhelmed. It has caused serious and long-lasting mental health problems for them, and as a friend, I don't know how to support them. At this point, I want to tell them to leave the profession for the sake of their self-preservation, but they're also new to the field and put so much time into their education to get to this place. Is there any advice for new educators? We have just a minute left, but I'm wondering, um, teachers, if any one of you would want to chime in for advice to help 
new teachers at this time? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Lauren. I'm sorry. I can go. And then I, Lauren. Okay. Arian. Okay. Please. If you're a new teacher, find somebody to plan with. I, pl- I still 20 years in this profession. I plan every Sunday on zoom with a teacher in another district, find somebody to plan with and to support you and you support them and share your stories of your students, share the triumphs and the difficulties and just hmm. um, get somebody to work with. Lauren, what about you? Yeah, and I would just say really know your why. Um, Teaching was difficult before the pandemic. It's going to be difficult during the pandemic. It'll be difficult after the pandemic. Um, And then just what Arian was saying, like build up your community, have that school community, have an outside of school community, um, and then definitely invest in um, your own mental health, get a therapist um, and a gym account. Leslie writes, I watched my daughter complete her teaching credential via Zoom. She's now in her second year, teaching fourth grade Spanish immersion in person, watching her work. I am absolutely amazed at the amount of work she does and the love for her students. Well, I'm amazed by all of you. Drew Ishii, a math teacher at Sage Hill School in Orange County. Ariane Adam Chakova, Spanish teacher at Cappuccino High School in San Bruno. Aide Rodriguez, history and English teacher at Central Union High School in Imperial County. And Lauren Brown, an early literacy coach at Oakland Unified School District. Thank you. And as this listener writes, what I want to say to teachers is thank you. Thank you for your dedication. Thank you for all the extra hours you've been putting in. My thanks also to Caroline Smith, who produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.